All right, so Sean, we're sitting here. Uh, you, you were nice enough to give me a couple more minutes. Uh, I wanted, I, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about some of the cool things you've collected over. Um, how long have you been collecting stuff? Uh, you know, I started, I started a BBS, and probably half your listen, listeners won't know what a BBS is, but I started a BBS about collecting video games in 1989. So I've been collecting since the late 80s. So I got out of video games a couple of years when I crashed to, to kind of chase down a girl to, to find somebody. And then uh, I, I, I'm actually still married to that girl 30 years later. So um, Worth giving up video games for then, huh? No, I had to. I had to find one that you know, I didn't want to be a video game geek. And so I finally, I found a girl and then uh, married her and then back I went to back to be- to <laughs> the video games. The, the old <laughs> bait yeah, uh, sure she no, loved that. I've been collecting since the late '80s, so it, it's uh, it's you know 30 years. Wow, you know it's funny. So I first saw um, I first saw you on this on the show called Collectors Call, which I think is produced out of Chicago. Um, it was uh, it's I think it's done by WCIU, the U, where I used to watch as a kid. Um, and it was funny because on on that show, which was a lot of fun, you talk about some of these rare things. You know, you already mentioned you have the prototype for the for the power glove, which is incredible. Uh, you got a couple of prototypes and some early things. Uh, one of the most notorious and probably the, the 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 most famous is your. You have a copy of you have the prototype for the Nep- for the Saturn Neptune, which was that must have been the precursor to the Sega Saturn, right? They must have just been going down the planets, I imagine. No, the Neptune was going to be a Sega Genesis with a 32X built into it. So it, it wasn't. It was kind of like a in-between console between the. So the 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 lineage goes the Sega Genesis, and then Sega released the 32X peripheral for the for the Sega Genesis, with a, which it allowed it to play these special 32X games that were enhanced but not quite uh, as powerful as the Saturn was. And then rather than before the Saturn came out, they decided they were going to make this console with a 32X built into it. The 32X kind of it's this big mushroom thing that sticks out of the top of the genesis by about six inches so they decided that they were going to develop a console that had the 32x technology built inside of it it's super small super slimline about the size of a genesis 2 um but yeah we have uh, the only known prototype of the of the second wow and so you've never turned this thing on you don't even know is it a working prototype or do you have no idea we're fairly sure that it's non-working, but no, we have never. It does have a power jack on it. We've never, we've never attempted to apply power to it. It, it, it feels like there really isn't much inside of it, if, if anything at all. So we honestly don't. Could just know. be a shell. It could. It's not a shell. It's heavy. So there's definitely something in in there. But it could be like a solid block of plastic or a solid block of resin or something like that. We, <laughs> we don't know. But there there is like metal. Like if they made a solid block of resin, why would they put a power jack in the middle? You know, it seems like such a trivial uh, uh, detail that they would. Uh, that they would go to to add a power jack to the back of it. We don't know. But we, even if even if there was guts in it, we we have several items like that that we have never powered up just because we're afraid to power them up. I have a I have a prototype of the Atari MindLink controller. The MindLink was a like this. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a helmet, but it's almost like a plastic visor that that went across your forehead and it plugged into the Atari 2600. And the MindLink is supposedly could read your thoughts and and allow you to control the game wow. by thinking uh, move right or move left and obviously it did not work there's no way in hell <laughs> that they had that technology in 1983 or 82 um, but 
what really you had to do is you had to kind of grimace your, your face and move your wrinkle, your right. forehead in certain <laughs> directions, and it would pick up a little bit. And there was no mind reading going on, but we have a prototype. We have actually five different prototypes of the mind link controller wow. and they all have the power, you know, the hardware inside of them, but we've never plugged them in. We, there, there's no reason to, we don't want to damage them. There's no real knowledge to gain by plugging them in. And, and, uh, we don't know if they're complete or, you know, if they have all their pieces inside. So we just opt for things like that to, to just not turn well, them on. Well, of course on. there's something to be gained. You can find out if Atari had the power to read your mind. Aren't you curious? Aren't you a conspiracy <laughs> theorist? Aren't you curious if, like, the CIA you know developed what? these if things? If they did, I don't, I don't think I want to oh, know. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. that, would it be awesome if, if this was a movie, right? Like, I talk you into it. You power it on with it on. And all of a sudden, like, a transmitter at some place in Alaska, like, just beeps. Like, this green light just beeps on. And all of a sudden, your, all your thoughts are finally <laughs> <laughs> on a dot matrix printer the readout yeah, comes exactly. up uh i already can already see the movie uh yeah. so you got you have lots of prototypes now how i gotta ask you this how did you really like what was the the genesis the catalyst for you getting into collecting all of these rare things i mean it's it's quite a it's quite an expensive endeavor i imagine although you got pretty good deal on the on the sega neptune considering no one knows even how much it's worth and uh, you only bought it for a couple hundred bucks uh, but like, how, how did you get into to like really wanting to to capture all these 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 big pieces? Well, the thing the thing is, is back at the time that we were doing it, it was affordable, you know. Um, so so a perfect example is that the mine link that I was just telling you about. One of those mine links came from we we a friend of ours uh, uh, worked at Atari and. Uh, and he, they had a storage locker. We went into the storage locker with him, and I literally stepped on one of them. Oh, there, there my was just God. Stuff thrown all over the floor. And this is, I mean, I don't I have no idea what the, one of the mine like prototypes is worth today, probably tens of thousands of dollars. But one of them, we literally stepped on it. They, they had no idea what it was. They didn't care what it was. They were going to throw it out. And, you know, that, uh, <clears throat> at that time, there wasn't really a market for that sort of stuff. Nobody was really out there preserving the history of the, of the video games. Like, you know, myself and my partner, John and Joe were, um, we always kind of thought that it was cool and that it should, it was going to be important one day. So all three of us back at, at that time, when you could actually afford to, to, to buy some of this stuff, we were out at the flea markets and, and, uh, Another quick story in in in, uh, in 1998, my my partner John and I we went down to a uh, a warehouse in Laredo, Texas, which is literally right on the border of Mexico. Out the back of this warehouse was the Rio Grande River, which separates Texas from Mexico. Um, we went down to the Laredo, Texas, and we bought uh, upwards of 50,000 games from from a, a person that had them, um, and these were brand new in the box, sealed uh, Atari and television, all all early 80s era games so we bought all those games from from the person and i think we paid a, a dime a game for him if if that i mean it was obscenely ridiculously low and this was 1998 at that time you know yeah we were able to sell some of them but nobody really cared and, and we were able to buy them cheap and another part of that story is at that time the guy had nintendo games so the guy said well you know i also got you know several thousand uh, sealed nintendo games do you guys want those and Nah, nobody's ever gonna want those. So we didn't buy oh. them. You know, those games would be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars today. Sealed <laughs> uh, Nintendo era stuff gets obscene amounts of money. But I think he wanted at the time he wanted two or three dollars a game, and we're like, that's nah, crazy. we're not paying that's that. Insane. Are you crazy? That's way too much money. <laughs> but that's how we were able to build these collections is because we were building them at a time when when the stuff really wasn't expensive. So, you know, we have. Uh, 
uh, we have, I think we have, there's an, a, a prototype Atari system called the CX2000, which was never released. It was, uh, both the joysticks were actually built into the console, kind of, kind of reminiscent of a Pong system where the little paddles were built into the console. But this was Atari 2600 compatible, so you put cartridges in the back of them. Um, we have three of those prototypes that were, we, we bought years and years ago, and I don't think we paid you know, 200 bucks for any of them, if that, but they're worth, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars today. It's just at the time when we started doing this, nobody really knew how much it was worth and most people didn't right. care. Well, it's pretty amazing. The things you've collected, I mean, you know, uh, on that show collectors call, there's this, there's this funny moment. So the whole, the, 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 really the conceit of the show is they bring, they talk to an expert collector. That was you. They bring their own expert. And at the end, they try to make a deal. And so, um, you know, there's, in that, you talk about how you have this rare um, game called Video Life by a company called Comavid, which is just essentially like a screensaver, but it's extraordinarily rare. Um, and then you talk about how you actually bought the company. So, like, you own Comavid, <laughs> which is really funny. And then at yep. the end of the show, not to spoil it, it's actually really, this is a really funny episode. At the end of the show, then he's got to make a deal. So he comes with a game called Magic Card, a prototype, which was the game you had to buy to send in to get Video Life. And you have this funny line where you say, like, hold on, you're going to trade me. I own that. That's a prototype version. You're supposed to return that to me. And I could tell you're, like, half serious because you're kind of like, I'm not going to make a deal for you. You're supposed to get I could. I felt like you were going to th- like take him to court in that particular moment. And I'm glad you didn't. Uh, but it was such a funny moment because, like, you got this collector who thinks, I mean, really, it's kind of like, how do you get the guy who has everything, right? Like the thing he brings in, which would which yeah. would make everyone else like drool all over the place. Like you're like, that's actually mine. Right. <laughs> like, it was, yeah. I know I bet the producers of that show were just like yeah. so upset, but I got to tell you, that was the best moment in the show. I laughed out loud when that happened. That was absolutely amazing. <laughs> they loved it. They, they thought it was great. They, they loved it. That's good. It's really <laughs> funny. Uh, so you've got all this stuff down in the museum. You've got, you know, you talk about Game Boy had peripherals. There's a there's a sonar attachment to the Game Boy. You can, you know, you can you can control a sewing machine with the Game Boy. Uh, you even, you know, even have like a rare uh, combat simulator uh, that that the that the military actually used to teach people how to how to target without wasting bullets. Now, you don't actually have the gun on yeah. that, um, and I, I imagine you're pretty upset. I don't about have that. the gun. It pisses me <laughs> off that I don't have that gun. I've had opportunities to buy that gun, and I've passed because it was too expensive. Yeah. But one of these days, I I actually had an opportunity. That guy had two of them, and and I had an opportunity to buy it, and somebody snatched them out before oh. I could get them. Because at that point, when the, the guys that had two of them showed up, I was I had already resolved myself to the fact that I'm getting that gun and I'm like okay I'm buying it and by the time I reached them they were they were already gone uh, but I will have I, that gun I, so. I, I'm, I want you to have that I, I, I felt for you man you, got, you, you really deserve <laughs> that gun uh, I want to I close this on my this is another one of my favorite stories I, all my favorite stories I don't mean that they're all like <laughs> they all don't come down hard on you but you have a very rare prototype of a Barbie Game Boy um, and, and you believed it yeah, to be one of a yeah. kind uh, it turns out that it's not. Uh, can you just briefly tell that story from your point of view? <laughs> yeah, it's a funny story because you know the the we had scheduled that uh, the shoot for that uh, that show that was actually done nine months before it aired. Okay. So we had done the the shoot here at my at my store 
but it was funny because two days before those people were were scheduled to show up to to record that show, and I had brought in a whole bunch of items from my collection, from the museum's collection, and uh, and I had asked them to choose which ones they thought would be the most interesting based on my description. And the Barbie Game Boy was one of the ones they chose. And I said to them, you know, when they finally showed up, I said, "Well, two days ago, somebody somebody uh, actually contacted me with uh, with uh, another one of these Barbie Game Boys, and it seems to be legit. And you know, do you really do you still?" want to show the barbie game boy and they love that aspect of the story so basically the way that it works is that uh, um, somebody else uh, whose whose father or uncle or something like that worked at mattel i guess two of those prototype barbie game boys were made for their presentation um, to nintendo um, and nintendo said no so the the barbie game boys kind of went in somebody's desk right. for the next 15 <laughs> right. 20 years but one of one of them was donated to to us um i don't know three or three or four years ago by somebody who also worked at mattel but then you know like i said uh, about nine months ago somebody showed up with the second one so i will say this so the second one that showed up a it has a little crack mm-hmm. in it b it doesn't have the little barbie flower charm that ours right. does and c it does not have the little the little uh uh, sparkly pouch that ours does. So as much as it does bug me that a second one shows up, ours is far superior and far more complete than the <laughs> second one. We did try to buy the second. <laughs> we did try to buy the second one from the person that had it, but uh, the person was like super, super wishy-washy and going back and forth. And then I think they ended up uh, uh, getting frustrated, and then they just accepted uh, a bid from somebody else. So we we didn't end up getting it. But we're so okay if you would have bought it, would you have just destroyed it so there was only one? <laughs> I refuse to answer that question. <laughs> now let me ask you another question. Have you thought about hiring someone to go destroy it for you so that you have the only one? No, you know what? I'll be, I'll be honest. I, we don't destroy anything. I, the only reason why we wanted to buy that one is because we wanted to reunite the two. So these two were, were built to, to, to present it. And, and, you know, we have the the one that we own on display in, in one of our display cases in the museum. And it would be cool to have. Now, we know for a fact, and we've, we've spoken to both the people that were involved at Mattel at the time, we know for a fact that there were only two of them made. And there will never be another one that surfaces. If it does, it's fake or somebody made mm-hmm. one or something so um we just thought it would be cool to have both of them on display um the first one was donated to us so we didn't pay anything for it so we thought you know well if we have to pay a little bit for this one then we'll get it but you know we're not going to pay tens of thousands of dollars for it and i don't remember what the person ended up selling it for but it was more than than we were willing to pay and she kept they kept playing you know bidders against each other and well you know now this guy's gonna pay all right we're out we're done we're not playing this game anymore so we just kind of bowed up well you had the best intentions you you wanted to reunite it um for the sake of video game history is your favorite piece in the collection i'll tell a quick story about one other item that we had since we talked about uh dragon slayer so the the people behind dragon slayer there was a there was a uh, uh, a couple people uh rick dyer uh uh john pomeroy uh um, of course, uh, uh, why can't I think of the man's name? I just said it a few minutes ago. The, the, the artist, um, that drew, yeah, I, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but I, I just said it 10 minutes ago. Anyway, there were several people that were involved in, in dragons there. So, uh, one of the ideas that they had was they wanted to come out with a home version of dragons there. And at the time, uh, in order to play dragons there, um, you had to have a laser mm, display. So inside right. of every dragon there, 
cabinet was just basically a, a, a an old laser disc player, which was uh, you know top of the line at the time as far as getting an image just uh, on your TV. Um, the laser disc player had the best picture versus VHS or Beta. Um, so anyway, so what does what these guys did was they came up with a, a company and they made this thing called the RDI Halcyon, which is basically a laser disc player that you that you you know bring you, you hook up to your TV at home, but it played Dragon Slayer and it also played uh, several other games. Um, the problem with this console is that it was super, super expensive. I think the retail price was like five grand for this system. So um, they went around. Yeah, and this was this was in the '80s. So they're you know they went around. Uh, they were running up and down the coast of California trying to sell it to different stores. And you know, will you guys take one? And this and, and I, I think they ended up selling two of them. We ended up a few years ago. We ended up finding one of the salespeople who worked for that company that was actually trying. Uh, uh, pitching this to all the department stores, and he still had them. Oh, he wow. still had two of them. <clears throat> Not only did he have them, he had it in the original shipping crate. The, the one of them was in the original. So the other one, I think, was all beat up or something. He had he had used that for demonstration, but the other one had never been opened. We ended up buying that from him, and we have that on display in the museum. And that's one of my favorite pieces. It's it's super super rare, super cool, um, and it's super obscure. So people don't really know about it. But when you read about it, it's one of those things that, wow, man, I can't believe they made this system. This was a, and we have all, I think there were four games made for it, Dragon's Lair, Space Ace. Um, there was a football game made and, and some other title. But we have a display dedicated just to that system. And uh, I think there are only, I think there they made 50 of them. Um, I think they only sold two. And some of them got leaked out or some of them got sold privately after the fact. Um, but the RDI Halcyon exhibit is is, uh, is one of the coolest things that we have at the museum. And, and again, it's one of those things that nobody knows about, but they find it super cool when they actually read a little bit of the history about it. It sounds incredible. I, what I love is that it had a football game, because I feel like there's a football game literally for every system. So it tells you what, yeah. how we feel about, about, about football. Um, Sean, this has just been absolutely incredible. I really want to thank you for, for taking this extra time out to, to kind of go through your incredibly rare collection. And again, so this is in Frisco, Texas. It's the National Video Game Museum, and it's it's open right now. Go should go right now. Um, if not, plan a trip out there because it's it's definitely worth it. Although I'm not speaking from experience yet. I am going to go out there. Uh, but this is just incredible. Sean, thank you so much. Sure, no problem, Dan. Thank you.